This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. Support for this podcast and the following message come from the Master Brewers Bookstore, where you can find must-have titles like the Practical Handbook for the Specialty Brewer, Beer Packaging, Conference Proceedings, and more. Visit mbaa.com store to build your brewing library and make better beer. You can really focus on your process and associate it with malt without getting completely bogged down in the COA numbers. Last week on the show, Joe gave us the background on letting your process evaluate malt performance. This week, Joe dives deeper into what to track, what to compare that against, and why. So... Um, if I just gave a quick example of how to how to do this, you're really trying to look at the the, the, the purest extract recovery calculation is to, to put in the starting pounds of extract and compare it to the pounds of extract collected in the fermenter. And there's a couple subtleties to this. One is you would use your weighed out malt extract going in is relatively easy. Your weighed out malt uh, times the extract uh, report on the COA, that gives you your pounds of starting extract. And then the extract collected in the fermenter, you have to be able to get to the fermenting collection before any yeast slurry is added. And what you're looking for is getting the volume and the Play-Doh, and then looking at the extract per unit that's in the tables to get a extract that's recovered um, in the fermenter. And I, I just, uh, just, just a quick example, if you, if you were making a small brew that had 2,400 pounds of malt, and it was 81% fine grind extract, that calculates as you put 2,106 pounds extract into the process and then if you filled your kettle to 50 barrels you collect or or your i shouldn't say filled the kettle let me come back to that if you collected 50 barrels of wort and it was at a 14 play-doh or a 1.057 spg you go to the tables and you find that you collected 1909 pounds of extract and 1909 divided by 2106 90 0.6% yield. And I would guess the large brewers, and this may not be applicable in every piece of equipment, the large brewers tend to operate between 88 and 92, 93% yield on this basis. Uh, And if you, it's it's hard to get that number though, what's collected uh, before the yeast slurry is added. And if you wanted to take a shortcut, if you would take your hot wort receiver, that volume that you've collected in there before you cool it and put yeast in it, Take that number and factor it by 96%. Um, and that's the expansion contraction factor for wort, whether it's boiling or whether it's cold in the fermenter. That's probably an adequate number, and that's a shortcut to getting a collected number. Get that Play-Doh, that hot wort Play-Doh, and the volume, and just factor the volume by 96%. 
But I want to emphasize that you can do this in altogether different methods. I, um, the important thing is that you do it and, and see the results. Um, I mentioned in my first example, um, when I first went to work in the brewery, that we um, just looked at, we didn't look at the COA for extract, we just looked at pounds employed versus rec- extract recovery. I had a I had a client that kept saying to me, when I use this malt, I'm 0.008 short. I'm 0.008 short. And it took me a while to understand what he was talking about. He was He was using a standard malt bill filling the kettle to a standard volume, and then checking the gravity of it. And when he changed suppliers, he was not getting the same gravity. What he was saying is, when I use my preferred malt, I fill the kettle, and I get a a specific gravity, a gravity of 1.057. When I use this competitor's malt, I fill the kettle, and I do everything the same, standard bulk, fill the kettle the same way, get 1.0562. And that's where you kept saying to me, I'm 0.008 short. I'm 0.008 short. <laughs> so, but the point of that is whatever method you use, just apply it consistently. Figure out what works in the brewery for the equipment set, where you can get measurements, how you want to, what's, what's the level of sophistication you want to use. The first example I use is the pure, the pure application of yield, extract in, extract out. But you can do it a lot of other ways. The important thing is, Choose a method, consistently apply it. Don't get tangled up with fine grind versus coarse grind, as is the fine grind dry basis is the purest form of what is the maximum extract available, and just keep measuring against that standard. Now, the important thing is then what you use that extract for. So now I'm saying the next thing you should do is take that yield you're going to calculate on every batch and track it against beta-glucan that's on the COA. And you can do this either with a simple spreadsheet listing or use Excel, put in the columns and numbers and let it create a chart for you with, say, the batches across the horizontal, the bottom. You don't have to have any anything other than the batch identifier. And maybe the left-hand axis be Brewhouse Yield and the right-hand axis be Beta-Glucan. And plug those numbers in. And what you're looking for is in your process on your equipment, what is the beta-glucan level that provides you the highest brew house yield? And you're looking for the breakpoint beta-glucan that's the breakpoint between the yield you consider acceptable and the yield you consider unacceptable. And I, I spent a lot of, and I focus on beta-glucan because in simplest terms, I look at beta-glucan as the glue that holds extract together. It's the last modification step needed in the malt house and the beta-glucan has to be reduced to turn the extract loose and make the malt functional. So I think it's really important to, to use that as the key indicator. So we're talking about now not what is the right theoretical beta-glucan that should be um, on a malt analysis, or what is the target that all maltsters should use to find this one correct number uh, that we talk about at the forum for what does malt analysis mean. Now we're talking about in your brewery, in your recipe, on your piece of equipment, what is the beta-glucan that works? What is the number that you have to make sure you buy malt against that gives you the best values? And where's that break point when you start getting poor values? So I think, it's a, I th- I think that's an important comparison. The second comparison is you got the beta-glucan. You want to track it against louder performance. I had said that, that brewing 
extract recovery is an important measure of functionality. Smooth loudering is an important measure of functionality also. Now, you can use any indicator that's important to you, however you measure your louder performance. Some people focus on runoff times. Some people focus on how they use their rakes, how many cuts they have to make, how many deep cuts they have to make, how many underlets you have to make. Use any indicator that makes sense to you. Um, what is your smooth loudering key functionality measure? So now you take that and you plot that against beta glucan the same way. Let Excel create a chart. Put the, put the columns and numbers down there for the batches, the beta glucan, and your index. Let's just say, example, runoff time. When you're trying to make a recipe, it should have um, you know, a 90 minute runoff time. Well, you go ahead and chart. What is the what is the runoff time based uh, compared against beta glucan? What you're looking for the beta glucan level that provides the smoothest louder operations. Now this level will be different than what gives you the best extract recovery because you can have extract loss without good loudering. Um, I think I've I've put in some of my presentations in the past. We're well past the beta-glucan level that interferes with loudering in most breweries, and that's up around 200. But what we found is beta-glucans come down and don't interfere with loudering. Then you step into what's the level you have to drive it down to to get good extract uh, recovery. But again, I'd focus on what's important to you at the louder tub. Do you have better quality beers if you make less cuts? Do you have better quality beer if you run off quickly? Uh, whatever your indication of loud, good loudering is, compare that against beta-glucan on the COA and always look for what's the beta-glucan level that gives you the smoothest, louder operation. And, you know, beta-glucan is very closely associated to viscosity and and. Which brewers involved in, in, in favor of viscosity? As an engineering product pro process, that viscosity as a, as a concept is resistant to flow. We're trying to get resistant to flow, resistance to flow out of the process. Coming up, more tricks from Joe to let your process evaluate your malt. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. Here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. Today marks week two of the Master Brewers Brewery, Engineering, and Utilities course in Madison. I hear the students are already full of both knowledge and cheese curds. The California Craft Beer Summit is September 7th through the 9th in Sacramento. The 77th Annual District Ontario Golf Tournament is September 8th. District Carolinas meets in Greenville September 15th. The District St. Paul Minneapolis Annual Golf Outing and Meeting is September 15th. The District St. Louis Golf Tournament is September 21st. Today is your last chance to take advantage of early bird discounted registration for the 2017 Master Brewers Conference, which is happening October 12th through the 14th in Atlanta. Come early for the HACCP course if you need to build a food safety program at your brewery. District Michigan and St. Louis both meet October 19th. The District Northwest Fall meeting is October 20th and 21st in Eugene. The Master Brewers Brewing and Malting Science course starts October 29th. Districts Mid-Atlantic, Midwest, New York, Milwaukee, St. Louis, and Southeast all all have meetings scheduled during November. Check the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. 
Now back to the show. Then one other thing that's interesting that you want to track is your attenuation versus beta-glucan. And you say, boy, I don't understand this. Why would Joe say that? Um, And I think it's something that brewers don't think enough about. Because you should look at what beta-glucan level provides the highest repeatable attenuation. And why should you do that? It has nothing to do with enzymes. What happens is there's such a surplus of enzyme, repeatable attenuation now is based on the modification and conditioning of the extract. If if you have um, a higher beta-glucan level that won't allow extract release, just think about that's that's the work that then is being presented to the enzymes. And the more complicated it is, the less that it is modified, it's going to be harder for the enzymes to access it. And um, in this case, it's important that the extract is free-flowing for enzyme access. And I think you can see this, um, attenuation variations that are associated with not not well-modified malt. So I've been focusing on beta-glucan because, again, it's the best indicator of comprehensive modification. It's the last modification function in the malt plant. Now, now, Joe, obviously, a, yes. obviously, the uh, you you have to assume there though that the brewer has very good yeast management and that they're always pitching the same number of cells with consistent viability and all that. If you're going to try to use attenuation as well, a as a as a me- as a measuring stick here, right? Well, you know, I'd, I'd I'd qualify that, John, by by saying that it depends on the fermentation processes that the the brewer wants to use. Okay. I, I I follow on some basic training, which taught me years ago, that you can't stop yeast from fermenting a wort, a, a wort extract that's fermentable. You can't stop it from fermenting fermentables, and you can't cause it to ferment non-fermentables. So I guess I'm thinking in the world of attenuation to end is um, that that this would that that the, you'd have to correct. When you're not getting the attenuation you want, you have to correct that in the in the brew house. Okay. Now, I understand though. I understand there's some process that people like to interrupt um, attenuation with maybe a cross croisoning or a quick cooling because they want to raise their yeast fermentable extract to get more body in the beer. But as a general concept, to me, you can't stop yeast from fermenting things that are fermentable. And you can't ferment things that aren't fermentable. So when you find that endpoint, you have to correct that back in the brew house. In, in, in my world of large-scale uh, brewing, it, it may not be true in every recipe or every desired outcome um, in all the variations we see out there now. Now, I also would say not every malt supplier is reporting beta-glucan. Um, and, you know, malt suppliers in general hate beta-glucan. They hate it as a specification. It's really interesting to talk to them. They don't like it as they don't want it, the beta glucan result in your hands as a brewer to make a specification. But if you interact with them and go in the malt house, every single one of them use it as a process control technique. It's a really valuable number to them when controlling their process and achieving functionality. If you get if 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 a supplier is not reporting beta glucan, friability is a good comprehensive modification indicator. And all those three tracks that I just said against beta-glucan, you could create um, that track against the friability result. 
uh, on the malt. It can pinch hit for beta-glucan. Um, and it may be important going forward because more and more craft brewers, they can provide friability. They might not be able to pri- provide a beta-glucan result for you, but 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 um, friability can pinch hit for beta-glucan. There's another value to friability. If you want to go out in the world and just worry about your process and what you think about malt and self-evaluation of malt, is using friability opens the possibility of totally taking the supplier reporting out of the process. Um, you can just have your own friability meter. I, I think they're roughly an $8,000 instrument. Um, you, have to know, you have to learn how to use it. You have to take care of it. It has some wearable parts. It has some uh, standard malt to run through it. So you have to, it, it's a lab instrument. You have to treat it as such. But if you wanted to be skeptical of um, malt analysis, you could get your own friability meter, run a friability on every individual batch of malt that's going to go through your process and do your process tracking on your own malt analysis. And I think there's some uh, uh, craft brewers of a certain size that, that do that. And I guess at this point, I would say I'd be very skeptical about purchasing malt that would not, did not have a beta-glucan or a friability associated with it. Okay. Joe, we, we talked about um, S over T being one of the more important COA parameters back on episode 17. Do you recommend tracking that versus performance as well? Oh, that's a, I, I'm glad you asked that, John, because that's, really, that's a really good question. Yes, S over T is critical to modification, and it's critical to reduce the uh, protein structure in the cell wall to get the beta-glucan reduced. The problem is that S over T has a varietal component. Uh, It's almost a genetic balance of modification um, S over T to beta-glucan, and S over T profiles out by variety. Now, if you really had a strong identity on the varieties that were in your blend, um, you could you could think about using the S over T. But but for example, if you're if you're a brewer that uses a um, a classic Czech Bojos or the newer um, German Winter Scala, which seems to be a very good uh, variety. Um, those, those have complete and good modification at 38% S over T. But if you were looking at a variety, it's a Canadian variety that came up and now sort of has lost favor, uh, the variety Meredith. Everybody thought it was going to be a replacement for Metcalf because it had such high yields. Um, that requires almost a 50% S over T. So the range between 38 and 50% is really big, and you have to understand the variety that you have. And the problem is most two-row pale malts that end up to craft brewers are blends. They're not pure, um, they're not pure varietals, and it's very difficult. Uh, so I'd, I'd, I'd be, skeptical of, uh, be skeptical of just plugging in S over T to any of those comparisons without a known pure variety or varietal mix but you're correct it's a really important um it's a really important uh, factor for modification you know I'll, I'll say one other thing too about uh about brewers because uh, i've fallen into the same trap um myself sometimes as brewers we do have to consider the possibility that it's not the malt i know that's hard <laughs> i know that's hard but we have to consider that now one of the uh, one of the benefits of this tracking is you get enough history buildup. 
you can start to identify non-malt sources of loss of functionality. Because if you establish for your process and recipe, what's a good beta-glucan? Then if you have a a poor functionality result on yield or loudering that's running with a past proven good beta-glucan, then you shouldn't say, I wonder if that COA is correct. You should immediately look for non-malt sources of functionality loss because that can come from excessive malt breakage, chaff buildup in the bottom of silos, um, irregularities on the mill, um, scale, meter calibrations. You lost some wort and all of a sudden your your, your loudering is way off. So uh, an, interesting, an interesting corollary to what is your best beta-glucan to get yield is it's a quick identifier of something else is going on in your process that might not be the malt if all of a sudden it, it goes out of, it goes out of, uh, out of kilter well john i've taken a lot of time here today let me wrap up by just saying the key takeaway here is establishing malt performance when i'm talking to a brewer establishing malt performance on your specific recipe your specific process your specific equipment and 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 success then determined by your performance criteria, not the theoretical good values on a malt COA. And then the engagement with your malt supplier becomes the malt does not work for me in my brewery. It's not a debate about COA numbers. It's not about sampling procedures, or it's not that endless that endless circular discussion about in-house variant, in between in lab variants and between lab variances. Uh, I, I get asked a lot um, by uh, by brewers, where can I send my malt for analysis to see if the COA is correct? And I tell them you shouldn't do that for two reasons. One is you will you will not you will end up in this endless discussion about where did you take the sample how how uh, how long was the sample exposed to moisture um where uh, what's the lab that is done in and and invariably what you'll find out is within the between lab variances the coas will have the coa and the confirming coa will probably have all the same numbers factored by what is the in be- the between lab variances and and you haven't improved your knowledge of your process so i'm saying don't send it any place don't go through that endless discussion with a maltster about it focus on your process your recipe and how can you make this malt how can you evaluate this malt um in your process because that's all that's important to you and make sure Uh, that you have evaluated it and that you've also taken a good look in the mirror before you play them this small does not work for me card right exactly exactly because you know you're going to you're going to engage here's what i tell brewers you're going to engage with a monster who is expert in making malt and malt analysis techniques and you're way out of your depth in trying to and trying to argue his area of expertise. But that doesn't mean you're at a disadvantage. You are an expert on your beer and your process. There is no answer from him that's satisfactory if you tell him this malt does not work. That's got to bring him to action um, because now you're on your turf. Now you're on your area of expertise, your beer and your process. Um, You're not going to win on his area of expertise and a turf so keep it on your turf i use this malt 
this is the way it reacts in my process. This doesn't work for me in my process. Um, and then you either move on or you, you say, or he tells you, um, I have some other ideas that I'm going to send you some more malt to test. So I, I, I think it works that I think it works well that way. And I, I just, again, um, uh, you don't want to, you don't want to end up in a long circular discussion about sampling and lab analysis and and instrument variations and technician variations and between lab variations it's not the best way to spend your time spend your time with your process and your beer that was joe hertrick on the master brewers podcast and believe it or not this is the end of episode 52 which means the master brewers podcast is about to celebrate its first birthday Whether you've been with us since the beginning or subscribed recently, thanks for listening. We're looking forward to bringing you more interviews during year number two, but we need your help to keep the momentum going. First, we need your feedback. So please, please, please take just a minute to rate and review the Master Brewers podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also leave comments at masterbrewerspodcast.com or tweet at masterbrewers. What do you want more of? What can we do better? What's helped you the most? Please let us know. And finally, a lot goes into producing the show. And with nearly 100,000 downloads, it's time for us to find some sponsors to help offset our costs. So do me a favor. The next time a vendor walks into your brewery, ask them to consider sponsoring the Master Brewers podcast. It's a low-cost, easy way for vendors to reach thousands of brewers like you. For more details, contact Brianna Plank at Master Brewers Headquarters by calling 651-454-7250 or send an email to bplank at scisoc.org. That's B-P-L-A-N-K at S-C-I-S-O-C dot org. Thanks for listening. My heart full of rage I can't get stuck, I can't be losing too much And then I'm heading out to any other place down, I'm running too fast, and then I bump on the ground.